Thank you. So today we begin our Easter series, which is called Voices. Some of you may feel that that uh, title is a little familiar, and you would not be wrong, because about three years, three, four years ago, I can't quite remember when, we did a series called Voices in the run-up to Christmas. And we looked at various significant voices in that run-up, and we, 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 we thought about that, and we prayed about that, and we, we, we fed on that. So I thought it was about time we did a similar treatment to uh, the voices that lead up to Good Friday and especially Easter Day, and so that's what we're about now. So if you've got a Bible with you, uh, please uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. If you haven't got one, if you would like a Bible, uh, please uh, just ask at the welcome desk and uh, we'd be happy to give you one. And incidentally, if you were here last week and you didn't get a peg for some reason, uh, that, I, I haven't got time to go over that, but it's all about the final phase. Please listen on last week's podcast what that's about. But this is a prophetic thing. This is a prayer aid. This is something to uh, remind you uh, that God has commanded us to enlarge the place, enlarge the place of our tent. And uh, excitingly, I got an email from somebody in Japan this week. A lot of people overseas listen to our talks. And uh, they were enthusing and excited, and so we are sending four pegs out to Japan. They're already winging their way out. Would you believe it? Gosh. <laughs> Crazy, eh? Four pegs on their way to Japan. What the Japanese will make them I, of them, I do not know. Okay, Mark chapter 1. Let's just read the uh, first uh, eight verses, and then I'm going to make a few comments. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pause there and make a few comments. A little bit of background. Mark's gospel, I, I have to say, it's my favorite of the four accounts of Jesus' early ministry. I love them all. There's benefit and stuff to be learned from all of them. I love Mark's gospel. It is rough, it is raw, it is ready. It's the uh, scholars will tell us that it's the earliest of the gospels to have been written, possibly as early as 60 years after the birth of Jesus. That's a mere 20 so or so years after Jesus' uh, death. And was written, we believe, by Peter dictating through Mark, but who knows about that, you know. But it, it, it's a fascinating, you know, really visceral, really gutsy uh, account, and I love it. I love it. And... Uh, that's a little bit of background. John, uh, he's a pretty interesting character, as you can tell. He is Jesus' cousin. He features in Luke's Gospel and what have you. Uh, uh, he's conceived by Mary, Marac um, uh, Elizabeth rather, 
uh, and there's a sort of a miraculous story about his birth. He is a significant uh, prophetic person. He is the, actually, he is the last of the prophets of the Old Testament. He is a, he's not a New Testament prophet. He's, although he's in the New Testament, he's an Old Testament prophet in the classic Old Testament ilk. You know, and he's a bit wacky and he's a bit out there. It's also believed that he was, he had at least some contact with the Essenes. They're the people who wrote and, and, and hid away the Dead Sea Scrolls. It was a very austere, very kind of uh, separatist uh, Jewish uh, sect. It's not cult, it's a sect. It's a, a division, as it were, of Jewish uh, faith. And he was part of that. But somewhat unusually, the Spirit of God came upon him and he came out of isolation, out of the, dark, the, the deep wilderness, and he starts proclaiming. And where does he proclaim? He proclaims in the wilderness. Now, if you've got something to say, particularly as it says here, good news, you would expect to at least go to the Hyde Park corner of the day to go into Jerusalem, but no, he is a voice in the wilderness. You can just imagine these sort of, you know, great big, uh, uh, you know, uh, I've said it before, but I've been out to that area. It is, it's like the moon. There's nothing quite like it that I've seen. It is like the moon, but it's very white. It's very arid, and the wind sort of blows, and there's dust, it's a spooky place. And there on the wind is this voice, you know, the, the voice of John the Baptist, which echoes through the canyons and echoes through the 21st century, you know, saying this, I will send my messenger ahead of you. Well, he actually doesn't say that, that he is the, the messenger, but he says, you know, there is one coming after me because some people began to think that he was the Messiah, but he wasn't. So here we have this kind of weird, wacky person in the wilderness, and yet there is something about the word of God There is something about the word of God that wherever it is preached, wherever it is spoken, you know, it makes an impact. And I don't, we don't know how long John was out there on his own, perhaps with a handful of disciples, but it ended up with an extraordinary revival where everybody started making pilgrimage, if you will, out into the wilderness, out of the cities, out of the sort of you know, the, the street corners, the coffee shops, if they had them, which they didn't. You know, they, they went out into the desert to hear and see this guy. And something deep and profound happened in the people. And what the Spirit of God was doing was, it, was, was actually what the message says. You know, prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So what the Spirit of God was, was using... uh, uh, John the Baptist for was was to prepare people's hearts so that when the Messiah came, who was to be Jesus, they were able to receive that. And I believe that prophetically, we are in a season now where God is attuning us. I believe that this word has import for us today you know, as we live in a world that seems to be going to hell in a handbag or a handcart or whatever the expression is, you know, we are in a place where the Spirit of God is, is kind of echoing on the wind. And for those who will incline their ear and listen, you will catch it. And the word is prepare yourself. 
prepare yourself. So anyway, looking at this then, uh, I'd love to do an exegesis of this. I'm not going to, I'm just going to look at the first passage, the first verse, and then we'll move on, make a few points and so on. The beginning of the good news. The good news, what about? About Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Three little things to take away from you. The good news, evangelion, the good news. What is the good news? Well, essentially, and there's another preach here, John 3, 16, the good news is that God has not abandoned you. God has not given up on you. God has not given up on us. God has not given up on humankind. Quite the opposite. Do not believe the press. Do not believe the lies of Satan about you or humanity. God has not given up on us. Instead, he has sent his son. Again, John 3.16 says this, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it goes on. So the good news And what's this good news about? It's about Jesus the Messiah. Now, at this point, Mark, right at the beginning of his gospel, is speaking to Jewish readers, and he is saying, this is your Messiah. Not not John the Baptist, not me, not anyone else, not that bloke up in in Galilee or or bloke wherever, because there were lots of people who pretend. He says, he's saying, it is Jesus who is your Savior and Messiah. No other, it is Jesus. So let's get that one, he says to his Jewish readers, let's get that one sorted right at the beginning. And he says about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, not a Son of God, I am a Son of God, Jesus is the Son of God. There is a difference. You know, I I fondly talk about some of the guys of uh, who I mentor, some of the men and women, as, as, as my sons, my daughters. You know, you, you may have heard me call you that. Yeah, I believe that's true, the spiritual sons and daughters. But Samuel Lane is my son. He is my son. But you're all my spiritual sons and daughters. There is a distinction. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And if he is the son of God, then he is God. So right in this opening thing, you know, Mark, and this is so raw, so rough, so ready, he's, he's nailing it. Let's get the, a few of these things clear. You know, beginning of what is good news about Jesus the Messiah, the son of God. And what is the message then? The message which is really the whole of Mark's gospel, which is really the whole of this sort of little three series as we run up to Easter is this. And, and interestingly enough, well, I'm not going to go down that, so it doesn't matter. Verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, and the message is this, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, uh, many of you will know that immediately before a major festival in Jerusalem, it was the responsibility of the the religious leaders to send work parties out onto the, you know, the, the, the paths, the highways, the byways, and do whatever they could to remove obstacles if there'd been a winter landslide or whatever. They, 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 it was their responsibility to, to do whatever they could to clear the, the highways 
so that the pilgrims would not be hindered when they came to, you know, to Yom Kippur or, or Passover or whatever it was. And so this is quite familiar imagery in a way to the original hearers. You know, the, well, actually this morning we were driving through small snowdrifts, weren't we, where our village is. And then, of course, we're all avoiding the potholes or trying to, you know. But, you know, there's this real sense of getting ready, preparing ourselves because God is coming. Preparing ourselves because God is coming. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. So I suppose my first question to myself you know, in this season, we don't really do Lent. Many of our Christian brothers and sisters do Lent, and I think there's no bad thing of it. I used to be very big on Lent, particularly when I was in the Anglican church. And there is, a, a, there is something to be said for reflecting, taking stock of your life, and thinking, well, how am I doing? You know, how's this last year been? You know, have I managed to get over that issue? Am I working on that? Is there progress there? Have I been set back in some issue? Taking stock of the state of your soul. And basically, rather like that passage, that, that thing, the kind of questions I want to be asking is, you know, you know, what are the hazards and hindrances that I personally have to be dealing with? Hazards and hindrances. What is, you know, what, what, is, what are those little potholes that you personally tend to have a habit of keeping to fall in? It can be you know, a lack of discipline in some area of your life. Or maybe it's more than that. Maybe you, are, you, you have a bit of a problem with da-da-da-da, whatever that might be. This is a good time to reflect upon that and to own it. You know, I'm, I'm tired of talking to people. I'm not, I'm not beating anybody up here. But I'm tired of people telling me, I have this problem in my life, but don't let that worry you. I have it under control. I, I, would, I want to say that you do not have it under control. It's obvious that you do not have it under control. It has control of you. And the first step is to recognize that, you need to, that there's an issue there and you need to acknowledge that. You need to recognize that and then seek help. That's what community is about. That's what this kind of community is about. You know, to, you're, you're in denial if... if, if you know, if, if you believe that something that everybody else says is a problem is, is something that you have under control. What are the hazards and hindrances? For me, I suppose, uh, you know, I've probably done most things uh, wrong over at some point in my life, but for me, I suppose it's little articles of what I call articles of affection. Things I become too fond of. Uh, I could tell you story after story. You know, any, most hobbies, I, I don't do hobbies by half. I do hobbies with both feet, jumping in and, uh, you know, going bonkers on it. So these things, often the Lord has had to challenge me because they become, they become a distraction to me. I'm daydreaming when the, when the staff think I'm praying <laughs> in my study. I'm, uh, or, or answering an important email, I'm actually looking at a catalogue for something, you know. And, you know, these are just, you know, I, I jest, but, you know, the articles of affection are important things. Interesting enough, I've got time to tell you this story. Um, I was at a conference, spe uh, speaking at a conference up in Manchester many years ago now, and there was two or three of our team went up as well. Very big conference. We are in this hotel, in the middle of the night, the fire bell goes. And I'm, I incorporated into my dream, you know, so I can't remember what I, but I was fast asleep. Suddenly, bang, 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 on the door. 
And it's Tony, Tony Cook, who's my, our associate pastor then. He said, Chris, Chris, wake up. It's, it's not a, you know, it's for real. It's not a practice. And so I went, whoa, 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 whoa. So I get up and I go to the door and you can smell the smoke in the corridor. And, uh, and so he says, get your clothes on, get your clothes on. Anyway, at that very moment, somebody uh, comes over the tannoy and says, please, just, please do not get dressed, put on warm clothing. Do, uh, do, do leave your luggage and come down by the fire escapes into the... You know, well, Manchester in February. I mean, this is this is great. You know, so I'm getting, I'm, I'm got my, uh, you know, I've got to put my jeans on, one or two other things, you know, and um, I'm just about to go out the door, and I suddenly think, oh, I can't leave my guitar, because I've got this this guitar. In fact, it was this guitar, this this guitar here. This this is a a famous guitar which I've just broken, I think. Um, <laughs> it's got a history. It's got a vineyard history. That you know, ask Sam about it sometime. It's a Actually, quite a, a lovely guitar. And I, so I grab my guitar, and then I'm going out. And I, I thought, oh, I better take my Bible, because after all, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and, uh, you know, everybody will, you know, I've, I've got to look spiritual, you know. So I pick up the Bible, put that in my arms, and out we go. And I'm halfway down the stairs, and Tony's, uh, uh, Tony Cook is, is trotting along beside. We're going down this thing, and he turns to me and says, where's Fliss? I'm like, oh! <laughs> I'll, I'll go back for her, shall I? <laughs> no, she wasn't there. It's a story, isn't it? That. But I did get my Bible. I did get my guitar. Of course, if, if Fliss had been there, uh, that would have the guitar and the Bible would have stayed, and uh, you know I'd be helping you. Uh, <coughs> so anyway, we get down outside. We stand around on the pavement for must be 20 minutes. It was bitterly cold. Quite a few people are in their you know, pajamas with a dressing gown. It is freezing to death. You know. Finally, the fire brigade say, it's okay, you can come back in now, come back in. Apparently some, I don't know, desk person burnt some toast in the kitchen and set all the alarms off. You know. Usual story. Anyway, we're walking back up. We're told not to use the lift, so we're going all the way up the stairs again. Got my Bible, got my, my, my uh, guitar. And at that point, two, old, two, two lovely old people are coming down the stairs, and they're fully dressed, and they've got both, they both got fully packed suitcases apiece, and, they, and we came around, and they were there, and we went blink, blink, and they looked, and he went, oh, and he swore, he, said, oh. <laughs> he turned around, <laughs> but they weren't leaving anything. For me, it was just a guitar and the Bible, you know. You know, what, what, if, if you had to make a sudden, Escape. Obviously, you take your loved ones, you know. But what would you grab? What would you take with you? If you love tropical fish, you've got a problem, haven't you? You know. You know what are these articles of affection? You know, I, I believe that the hobbies and interests I have are something that God has given me, truly. But even those things can—they they can begin to consume you. They can take too much of your time. And there's all sorts of things that are actually fine to have and fine to have in your life and they enhance life and they're part of the joy of life. But they can end up ensnaring you. And so this season is a good time to ask yourself, you know, what are the hazards and hindrances to my walk with Jesus? What are the hazards and hindrances? Let's read on. Let's take a little bit more of it. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. 
At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. There's a whole story there. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love and with, who, with you I am well pleased. You know, I have questions about that text. Not, I, don't, I, I believe it, but it's interesting. All of the gospel accounts, all of the stories, they include that story, and it's, it's almost word for word. And, and generally, people think that they, you know, they, they copy straight out of Mark's gospel, being the first gospel to be, to be written, the first account to be written. Uh, and it, what I find fascinating in that is it says that Jesus saw this. I mean, does that mean that nobody else saw it? And Jesus said, oh, by the way, when you get to write a book, do include this account. I doubt it, but so what was that about? But the most important thing about that is not voices, it's not doves, it's not heavens being torn, but it's actually what is said, this voice, this second voice I'm gonna highlight. You are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. You are my son. It is God the Father speaking, God the the Father. You are my son. And this really is, as many of you will know, is about self-worth and significance. Self-worth and significance. Now, when I started getting serious about God or when God broke in upon my life, you know, there were a number of things that needed to be dealt with. First of all, uh, as many of you know, you know, my father died when I was just about turning to puberty and and then my mother remarried in six months. The son had a stepbrother, a two stepbrothers, a stepfather. Um, it was challenging. It was a challenging time. And I f- personally felt very threatened, very insecure. And, and both my stepbrothers were a bit older than me. Uh, and, and I felt like, you know, it was, a, it, was, I, it was trying to sort of fight for my position in this new hierarchy. It was a very weird and challenging time. So for me, when... God, when I began to respond to God's love in, the 20, in my 20s, I had some serious father issues. I had some serious father issues. And so it was almost like the first, for preparing me for the move of God on my life, God began to help me begin to see that all older blokes were not like my stepfather, you know, that, that actually my, my absentee father, my real father, my birth father or whatever you call it, you know, he, he, you know, they weren't all absent. There was a whole raft of stuff which many of you who've done the store course and various other things will be familiar with. And I had to deal with that. And finally, I got it. I got it that God was not like other fathers. We cannot project our impression or expectations of fatherhood onto God. He is quite unlike that. He is Father God, Father as he should be. And finally it began to dawn on me, and that nearly broke me up, you know, in a good way. Good tears. You mean, ah, boy, that was a breakthrough for me. With that, though, and not, you know, it's a right thing, I began to feel very self-important. So having gone from feeling like nothing, suddenly I realized God loved me. Well, any, if anybody loves you, that, 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 that imputes value. That imputes value. 
You know, for those of you who are struggling with self-image issues, it sounds like a cliche, it sounds a bit trite, but truly there is truth in this. You know, you are valuable because you are loved. God has put a price on you, and that price cost him dear. It cost him his only begotten son. That ennobles you, that puts value on you. So that was all happening to me. Suddenly I felt I'd gone, I went the other extreme. Suddenly I'm super valuable. So that means I'm Superman, isn't it? And I go into the church and I'm going to change the church for the better. And I know just what's wrong with the church and I'm not short or, or slow in telling people, particularly if they're bishops and stuff like that, which did not, did not help me in my early days. So I went from the need to discover father to suddenly realizing uh, uh, you know, I was significant, but I misinterpreted that. I was going to change the world, and I was fabulous. <laughs> I was fabulous. The truth of the matter is, we all need, we all have that need for God to work on our self-worth and significance. Self-worth and significance. Now, you know, as many of you know, Felicity and I are going to be transitioning later on this year, and I'm, I'm a little bit apprehensive because I've been doing this for so long. Felicity and I have been doing it for so long. I, I, I just don't know how much of my personal self-worth and significance, uh, and, I, and I really don't want a load of emails in response to this, but I don't know how much of my self-worth and significance is tied up in, in just the fact that I do this. I get the privilege of doing this every week. And I think it's going to be probably quite square, scary, probably quite difficult, but probably very good for me. Because my self-worth and significance should be in Christ and Christ alone. I do have a loving, living, dynamic life with Jesus, which is entirely independent of you guys. And I thank God for that. And that probably will be something I will be investing all the more in, in, in transition retirement, call it what you will. But the moment, because there's only one way we can do this job, and that is absolutely with 110% of ourselves, it's difficult quite to know how that will work out. Anyway, having said all of that, we're on a little bit of a journey in this, this talk. It's about preparing ourselves for the move of God, preparing ourselves for Him. It's about asking ourselves questions about, you know, what are the, the hindrances and and. Uh, you know, and um, hindrances and difficulties that will hold us back from him. It's also about, you know, clinging to Father and getting to know the Father, letting him be the God that he wants to be with us, not us telling him what kind of God he should be to us. It's about finding our self-worth in the fact that we are loved by the one who gave himself for us. It's about finding our significance that we are a son, a daughter of the Most High, called to work together in what we love to call the family business. There's, that's where the truth lies. Now let's read the last little passage before I bring it home, and that's Mark chapter one again, and that's beginning at verse 14. It says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Isn't that great? Because this begins with Mark proclaiming the good news about Jesus. And then it's as if Jesus picks it up when John the Baptist is uh, 
uh, it goes to, pr- goes to jail, and he's proclaiming the good news. God loves you. God is, a f- is for you. It's not what the religious people of the day were telling them, calling them dogs and people of the land in disparaging ways. God is for us, not against us. And then Jesus, this was his essential message. Verse 15, the time has come. Let that impact you. This is not a time for procrastination. This is not a season for saying about your stuff, oh, I have it under, my con- I have it under control. This is not a good time to be playing at Christianity. This is a time where God is visiting his people. The time has come, he says, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm speaking prophetically in the 21st century. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. You know, I started this service, for those of you who are here, most of you were, you know, just remarking about the extraordinary sense of the imminence of God in all that we're doing. We had some visitors this week, pastors from another church. They were walking across our empty, frozen, chilled out, shut down atrium two, and suddenly the guy stopped in his tracks and said to one of our staff, that's remarkable. I can feel the presence of God. People are coming here to be with you, to be with him, and saying, I sense the presence of God. The time has come to get real about your stuff, to get real with God. And what does Jesus go on to say? Time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This passage, this talk began with me saying, you know, Uh, This is the beginning of the good news. And what does the good news look like? What was John the Baptist's message? It was about repentance. What is Jesus' message? It's about repentance. And in terms of my personal anecdotal journey, this is how it went. God rescued me, and I responded to his love, knowing that I needed a father. So it was all about father issues. For a long time, Father issues, father issues, father issues, father issues. Many of you are dealing with that now. In time, as I got that, I started thinking about self-worth and significance. I always thought I'd been rubbish, even though I was pretty outgoing and could cover it up. Suddenly, God began to speak to me about that, and initially, I overcompensated, and I'm the first one to admit it. But it was all about self-worth and significance. God loves me, and so I can, you know, this kind of thing. Overcompensated. And then the third thing that God began to say to me and deal with me in the most tender and loving way, on the back of the, his fatherhood, on the back of him speaking to me about my self-worth and significance from his views, it was repent. Repent means turning away from and going off in another direction. And by that time, I was ready for it. By that time, I was falling in love. I was in love with God, and I wanted to do what he wanted me to do because I loved him, just as I, I, I want to do what Flissy wants me to do because I love her. But with God, it's a, it's a different thing. It's a far more intense 
thing, and I'm, I'm not being disrespectful to my wife. When you, when you connect with God, who is love, there is nothing that you wouldn't do. There's nothing that you wouldn't consider or go through. You know, it, it, for, the, for the love of him. And some of that means letting go of stuff. Those final little articles of affection, those things that, where you say to God, God, I'll do anything for you, but please don't, you know, I, I, please don't take that away. Or do it. Suddenly you lay it all down before the Lord. And sometimes you need to go off in a new direction. And so the repentance thing you know, God, it, you know, it, some people stand on street corners and shout, repent, 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 and they get a pretty hard time of it. That may work. I'm not going to diss it. Who knows? It might be what somebody needs to hear. But the truth of the matter is, God w- comes to us as the God of love. God whispers and sings over us about his love for us and, and his fatherhood and our significance, and how he has plans for us, even if nobody else did. Even if people at school and college or at home said to you, you are rubbish, even though your partner says you're an idiot and you're rubbish, you're stupid. Whatever it is, God says, I love you, my word is the last word, and I have plans for you. There are things that we're gonna do together. But somewhere around there, suddenly he will show you Actually, that you need to repent. So, if you're wondering, if you're wondering then, how can I prepare myself? What's this thing, Chris? You know, prepare, you know, I came to church, I'm here, aren't I? You know? If, if, if I want to, if I'm going to drill down and say, you know, what is this preparing yourself for Lord, the Lord to do? I, I want to say this take stock. And ask the Holy Spirit to reveal your sin. Then seek his forgiveness and grace to move away from it. You know, all that stuff that Jesus taught, I haven't got time to unpack this, about, you know, if your hand offends you, chop it off. Far better that you go to heaven with missing one hand than to let that thing that causes you to stumble drag you into hell. It's really shocking imagery. and I don't want any reports that half the congregation went out and chopped parts of their body off, all right? It would spoil my week. You know, Jesus is using that as figure. It's saying, it's serious. It really is. It's so serious. I've got to go to the cross for you guys. It's not my cross. It's your cross. You should be on it. I'm on it though. That's how serious it is. So as we as a people are being emboldened to pray, welcome home Jesus because he's coming to a people that is prepared for him. Let us press on in. Let's prepare ourselves. And if you want to know what it is, start drilling down, start getting serious It's time to repent. And that is good news. That is good news. All right? Let's have the band up. Why don't we all stand? These are exciting times. 
the time has come. If you ever thought you'd get serious with God, this is it. Do not put it off. Mark my words, that would be a bad strategy.